0: all right hello everyone welcome to our weekly uh going live with good soil episode here uh and um as always we're streaming this live both on twitter spaces and youtube on our youtube channel for good soil investment um it's being recorded on uh the youtube channel and um so you can watch it there anytime i, I somehow missed the recording option on this twitter spaces uh uh, setting this time so i apologize i'm not sure how many people watch the recorded version on twitter spaces though how's it going matt
1: uh good thanks my uh my twitter notifications are just exploding though i had this tweet about door handles that just went viral and in, in like the most annoying way possible so <laughs> yeah it's been all that. frustrating but uh aside from that pretty good
0: yeah i mean that just went to like a crazy spiral like like tons of tesla q just started retweeting it like you know tech you know tesla bull is can't handle can't work out the door
1: handles and elon must your car stink you know kind of stuff like that it was yeah, crazy it's crazy how just, it, it's yeah. frustrating how it's been so misinterpreted you know my original intention so maybe for those who hadn't seen i'll just a very quick summary yeah. um we had a, a large amount of freezing rain a couple days ago um went out to you're in michigan I, I was, right yeah. and i'm, I'm in michigan i'm my house is under construction right now, so I couldn't park in the garage. Anyway, I left it out, uh, went to you know go unlock the car, and I just couldn't move the door handle because it had iced over. Which happens with all cars. Like it used to happen all the time with you know my ice vehicle, so it's not uncommon. It's just different with the Tesla because it's flush to the surface. So uh, apparently the easy fix is just to knock it with your with your hand. I didn't know that at the time, um, but I just made a suggestion to Elon saying like, hey, why don't we add a button to the, release the 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 lock from the the app. Um, so, which seemed like a reasonable suggestion to me, because clearly yeah. it works on the inside. Um, but like, people have just gone viral. And they'll say like, "Oh, like Tesla idiots waste money on like <laughs> handles and like they've overdesigned things and like you um you can't even get to work and it's just like people have have taken it so negatively and and like it's it's just amazing. I don't have access to that side of Twitter very often, so it was uh, yeah. uh insightful in a very bad way to see just like the extreme amount of negativity and people um delighting in the perceived suffering of others which was like first of all <laughs> really like terrible. like you got the fact that this isn't even an issue like wrong yeah. and then you assume that it's like a design flaw which is not true and then you assume that like there's huge amounts of regret and so it's, yeah,
0: it's anyway, so it's insane. Yeah, I saw you tweet later, like a poll, like how many people seeing this tweet, uh, love Tesla or hate Tesla. And it was like half the people said they hate Tesla, the people that you viewed that voted on that poll. And I was like, wow, like thousands of thousands of people saw this. And you told me, I think it had like millions of impressions. So I don't know, yeah, I, it, I'm, I'm so suspicious of 20 like 20
1: million impressions, which is yeah, crazy. I'm,
0: like That is crazy. That 20 million. Wow. I'm suspicious of a lot of bots in Twitter, like programmed to just hate on Tesla and they're just like can pass the Turing test in the context of Tesla, you know, but you know, it, it, all the program to do is just like retweet and, with each other. Cause if you look at all these anonymous handles that all like hate spew hate about Tesla, most of them are anonymous. Like they're not real, people like they don't want to be it but it signals to me that there could be a lot of bots like just like following each other like thousands of bot accounts following each other so they all have like two thousand followers but they're also all following like two thousand 000 people it's just like this crazy tunnel of like you know echo chamber of of tesla q bots that like you know are just regurgitating and magnifying anything negative about tesla i don't know i feel like that's that's a possibility. What do you think about that? You think that's a con- yeah, uh, I think conspiracy, so. I or mean, you think that's a possibility? I,
1: th- there's definitely bots out there, and they definitely uh, flock yeah. to the negative. I mean, I've seen this sometimes. I just like look on people who've recently followed me, and it seems like the majority of the time when I do that, it's some some somebody who hasn't tweeted anything and an account created just this month. And yes, yeah, you tons know of that. Yeah, it, it's like if you look at them for a little bit, it's, it's like they're suspicious behavior. So I think, I think a good chunk yeah. of, of my actual followers are just like these, these bot accounts. And so I agree. It makes sense that there'd be a lot of those on, on the negative side, but just for like know, hire,
0: like someone's create farming out a bunch of bots yeah. and you could like buy them. And if you're like, you know, I don't know. I feel like there's some big business involved in that. And for like some amount of money, you could just buy a ton of like social media hatred toward a, brand and have all these bots just go off on it. I mean, even on YouTube, it's out of control. I think like there's this one YouTube channel I've been following that I'm trying to get the guy, you know, there's one also called like fun by this Twitter handle Thunderfoot, but the the O's and foot are zeros. So if you look him up, you could see he's got 1 million subscribers. How is that possible? But and it's all negative Tesla videos. It's like incredible. But you look at his short videos and you see all the comments and it's just like, you know, it's all anonymous things. I wonder if it's just like bots feeding amongst bots and there's like even many more millions of bots on YouTube comments versus Twitter. So it's just like a crazy world maybe of of bots taking over social media to some degree.
1: I think that's probably a part of it, but it it does also seem that like legitimate people still have huge misunderstandings about Teslas and, you know, cars in general. Um, So, yeah, it it seems to me that there's um, just, I kind of view it as an opportunity, honestly, because there's so much room to grow From here, I mean, like even my closest friends and family, they don't really understand Tesla in any like deep, meaningful way, just like the car itself, not not the investment. So um, that's why I get so excited because there really is so much room for growth still. I mean, all these people commenting and like spreading all this hate, like they clearly haven't tried the products, you know, they they don't know really what they're talking about.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's insane. And Elon had just commented about, you know, the media FUD campaign from 2017 to 2019 and You know, I think that's when it all start. Like, it got really bad with with the bots. Kind of, I don't know. I just it's maybe it's conspiracy theory, but you know, I just feel like there's an overwhelming become amount of bots. I'd love to talk to like people inside Twitter. If any of our followers like work inside Twitter or inside YouTube and kind of help monitor the uh, bots situation, we'd love. That'd be a great interview to catch, just to talk to someone kind of on the inside that kind of has a better understanding of what's going on with that, because it clearly is an issue. Just who knows how big of an issue it is. I mean, they've talked about it on like calls. that They've had to purge so many subscribers, you know, Twitter has that are identified as bots, you know, and then you have like, you know, imposter accounts. Like I've been trying to report this Emmett peppers with, you know, an imposter account of mine that has an extra S at the end of peppers. <laughs> and I've had like, probably a few hundred people report it of that follow me and I've reported it twice to Twitter. And I get the same response that doesn't violate their constitution. It's clearly a fake account. Maybe it's going to, it's going to be a bot or I don't know, but there's so many fake accounts that I just don't know how big of an issue it is. Is it, is it 10% of, you know, YouTube commenters and Twitter commenters or is it 90%? I, we have no <laughs> idea. Like you have no idea. Like where, how yeah. do we really know? Like you can't, it's crazy. So, I'd love to talk to someone on the inside in that kind of field to kind of understand a little more about that situation cuz I'm sure it's hard
1: to control. I wonder if they even know though. Like it's got to be hard to to tell, you know, it's not yeah. it's not like you like click a button when you sign up. It's like, you know, like male, female, bot, like Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's not entirely clear, but they've um, got to have some there's got to be some people
0: that have some Thoughts sure. that you know, we, we don't know whether it's 10 or 90%, but there's got to be some people that like have a feeling it's either like 25% or 50% or something like that kind of frank you would think, you know. So, yeah, there's got to be some people that have a better understanding of it, you know, than we do. So, that, that's interesting to talk about anyway. So, now we're kind of let's talk about the macro market a little bit. And then, um, what are your thoughts on the tech and growth stocks? I mean, it feels like they've kind of stabilized and bounced around the last week or so since the Facebook earnings. and you know, Amazon's earnings. And there was that increase, you know, it was a wild ride last week. I feel like maybe we're, you know, those big earnings are out of the way. Now you have a huge week of, you know, um, earnings coming up. Let me pull up my, uh, I'll share my screen with this. For anyone on YouTube Live, you can can see, um, but it's just a a window I'm going to share of uh, all the earnings this week of all the smaller companies. Um, So today you got The big name everyone's talking about after the close is Peloton with this, you know, potential acquisition we can talk about in a second. But, you know, you have Chipotle,
1: you have Lyft. I think they were before market this morning, actually, Peloton. Oh, Peloton did it before market. Okay. Yeah, and they they fired their uh, CEO and it was, uh, yeah that that one's interesting. We can dig into that.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this... I guess this chart here, I have pulled up this infographic. It says Peloton is supposed to be after the close today. So I guess they maybe they just did an early announcement or they got that wrong. But um Wednesday, there's a bunch of earnings. You can see in this chart, you got, you know, Sonos, Uber, Walt Disney, CVS before them, you know, all kinds and Thursday and Friday even have a few earnings. So you have a lot of interesting smaller company speaking of Twitter, that's Thursday after the close the firm. Everyone talks about, you know, we're not a, we haven't studied that Zillow. Cloudflare, you know, a lot of interesting companies on Thursday after the close. So next week is uh, Roblox. You know, that's something we're interested in, obviously. Um, so you got still a lot of smaller company growth stock earnings this week and next week and such. So I feel like the big companies, you know, set the table and it's a mixed bag. You know, Facebook was disappointing, but most of the others were very uh, impressive. Um and so I think the market sort of stabilized the, the macro market for growth and tech stocks. Uh, what do you what do you think, Matt? What's your kind of inclination here?
1: Yeah, it, it does seem to have stabilized a little bit. And I apologize if you guys you hear some banging in the background. We got construction going on, which I'm further away from it than my normal spot, but it, you may still hear a little bit of that in background. So I apologize. Uh, but it it does seem pretty clear that um, you know there's a, a bit of stability. Uh, at least compared to the like the extreme um volatility that we saw in january which of course was was bound to you know slow down at some point uh, but what i think is kind of interesting is um you know, just like the like the uh disparity of outcomes between the different you know like previous darlings of, of like the growth stock industry so net netflix started offering season on a really negative note that's yeah, that like 25 or something yeah, like yeah yeah so like netflix and facebook back really hard uh, Snapchat fell like 25% the day before earnings um, just because the, um, the all, all the concerns about about Facebook and, and yeah. the issues with the, the security uh, which they had highlighted as, as uh, a concern with Apple security changes in Q3 so for them to, to post a huge earnings beat, um it was I think really impressive so I think what we're seeing now is the market in, in general has, has like all boats have have fallen. Uh, but now i think the market is kind of reassessing who are going to be the winners and losers in in the in the you know medium to long term so i think you're g- going to see uh potentially a, a good amount of uh, upside from here depending on, on how that shakes out for individual companies yeah i think so And 10 year the rate everyone's kind of
0: been following that's close to two percent now i mean that's climbed and this in the growth tech stocks haven't really you know it's climbed from like 1.8 to like 2 percent in the last couple of weeks i feel like in it hasn't really had a huge impact, um, on the growth in tech stocks, you know, like it did when it initially started climbing, I think, you know, a year ago, I remember it started, there was whispers of it climbing and it was like creating all kinds of volatility in the growth in tech stocks last February. So, um, yeah, so I don't know. I feel like the market sort of adjusted and, uh, there's a bunch of interest rate hikes kind of already priced in and we'll just have to see and keep a, keep an eye on the macro markets are very hard to understand and predict. There's so many variables. It's not just interest rates. It's, you know, there's politics, there's company earnings there, you know, there's, you know, political geopolitical stuff, you know, there's commodities. There's so many things that are involved in the word macro econo- the macro economy. So um, but any one of those, you know, all those things kind of, work with each other and we'll just have to see what happens in the next uh, few months. But I do have a feeling if I had to guess that we've hit our bottom and, uh, you know, we're kind of starting a recovery hopefully soon or stability at least getting ready for a recovery maybe.
1: Yeah. And I think one of the promising signs is that if you look at the, the yield on the the 10 year, I mean, that crept up very close to 2% today. It was like 1.95%, which is much higher than it's been, um, you know, in the last couple of years. So uh, what what I find pretty encouraging is that you know the market had been expecting that to happen now that it's happened, it's not just you know crushing growth stocks today. Uh, growth stocks are are you know modestly up for the most part. So I think that's a that's a nice sign that you know even when it, um, the, the yield on the 10 years is uh, ju- jumping so high, um, the growth stocks are not just getting annihilated immediately. so that, that that gives me some confidence too that that we may have hit the bottom and um, yeah. In these, in this sector.
0: Yeah. All right. I'll stop sharing this infographic of the earnings and we'll go back to our normal screen. So in terms of like Tesla and Elon, you know, moving on to kind of specific companies, You know, one thing that's interesting is there's a Starship presentation. I believe it's uh, Thursday, uh, February 10th, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. Elon's going to give a kind of a presentation of the Starship and to the public and um what do you, you, you have any thoughts on that do you think uh anything is going to be interesting there I mean it's probably it's not Tesla related but you know anything SpaceX or yeah. Elon
1: related we, we love to it, it was kind of hilarious the way the way that he announced that too just somebody on Twitter asked when he was going to do it and he's like oh Thursday <laughs> so I thought that was <laughs> yeah that was pretty funny but um yeah I mean he's done these these updates in the past from from time to time um you know mm. I don't know too much more about what we might learn. I mean, the, the Raptor has been the, the biggest kind of issue for them. So if they, yeah, the can, and, and it sounds like they made um, a, a good amount of progress on that, getting the internal pressure up uh, closer to 300 bar where it needed to be. So uh, I'm hopeful that there'll be an update on that maybe how production is going, but
0: um, yeah. yeah we'll, that's we'll one. It's interesting to study that because it gives us more context when we study rocket lab. And I know one interesting um, comparison, Uh, Between Rocket Labs, you know, Archimedes engine they're developing for the Neutron and the the Raptor that uh, SpaceX is creating for the Starship, that Peter Beck has commented sort of on, not directly, but you can connect the dots is basically, you know, the Raptor engine has to be at like maximum power in order to lift this maximum amount of freight into space that the Starship is built to carry, you know. Um, And so you have to, like, get the most out of every Raptor engine to really get it to work, right, you know, whereas Archimedes, that engine with the Neutron, they're building it in a way that they feel is more sustainable, where the engine isn't going to have to be to max, you know, utilization, it doesn't it doesn't have to be stressed, like 90 or 100% to get the Neutron working, it's going to be built where it's, you know, more than enough. Uh, efficiency can get the neutron up so it could be reused more times more likely versus, you know, an engine that's maximum stressed. His, his philosophy is that, you know, that's less likely to be reusable as much. So that was an interesting kind of uh, footnote that I remember listening to Peter Beck talk about is a difference between SpaceX's Raptor and, you know, and Archimedes engine. So I don't know, something to watch. We'll see how the Raptor engine performs on reusability, I guess.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a good point. Um, Everyday Astronaut had a great video recently about, um, like, why don't uh, uh, ro- rocket engines melt, <laughs> which, which is actually like a pretty good question when you think about it. And um, I think particularly with the Raptor, there's um, that that's going to be a, a pretty uh, important thing to get right. So, yeah, I'd be curious to hear a little bit more of that, how they handle the kind of extreme temperatures that, that they have there. Stress so. and stuff. Yeah. yeah,
0: they'll have to refurbish the engines more often maybe. Yeah, who knows. So we'll find we'll keep an eye. We'll see how this presentation goes on Thursday. I'm super excited to kind of see what Elon unveils. I think Elon was so focused on Starship for a while there, like it was his biggest, you know, like he seems to gravitate towards like, you know, he has lots of things on his plate all the time obviously, from like Neuralink, Boring Company, all the Tesla stuff, all the SpaceX stuff and other side things he's working on, you know. Um but I feel like his he always has like, seems to have like a really top priority, whether it was like the model three production line ramping up in 2017, 2018, you know, to, you know, more recently is the SpaceX um, Starship design and Raptor engine, you know, difficulties ramping. Like, I feel like that was kind of the more recent. And now he seems to be kind of swaying toward, you know, pivoting over towards maybe uh, focusing more attention on the Tesla bot as like his next big thing. He's going to focus a lot of attention and priority on, you know, he's got his all his engineers around him, which he can delegate lots of stuff to, but he him personally, I feel like he has a top priority. He kind of swivels between on different occasions. And I feel like maybe he's kind of this presentation kind of signifies maybe the end of his extreme focus on the starship issues. And maybe they've overcome the major obstacles and hurdles where he he feels confident enough for it to kind of uh work, which is exciting. So we'll see how the presentation goes. And, um, and, and in terms of Tesla, I mean, <clears throat> anything you brought up an interesting tweet about, uh, the, the leases, um, you know, I know a lot of people listen to us. They want to hear us talk about Tesla. Um, you know, the stock price is just kind of bouncing around with the tech stocks, uh, uh, right now, but you brought up, you know, in terms of like their fundamentals and financials, tell us about your kind of the, the story around leases that you, you talked about with your tweet.
1: Yeah, sure. So um, in 2019, Tesla introduced the lease on the Model 3. Um, and so the the one unique aspect of, of it was, you know, typically with the lease, you, you give the owner the option to just buy the car outright at the end of the year or at the end of the lease term. So, you know, you lease a BMW and it actually saves BMW a bit of time if you just say say it's a $50,000 car, you do a lease for three years um, and then you can buy it for, say, $30,000 at the at the end of its useful life. Uh, that's kind of a normal thing and a and a lot of owners will kind of choose that option. But Tesla um, explicitly denied that capability. So they, they will get ownership of all the leased vehicles that it has ever produced at, at the end of their life. Um, you know, this is this is important for them for the model three because and that's obviously a lot higher volume than the SNX, which you know have been coming off lease for a, a large amount of time now. Uh, but mm-hmm. so in Q2 of this year is the first time that those initially leased model threes. Uh, will be kind of coming back into Tesla's hands and the way they, they book the accounting for this is they, they make an estimate of the residual value at the time of the lease. And typically it's, it's something in the neighborhood of like, you know, 59% of, of the uh, upfront cost. So if it was a $40,000 model three, you know, and, and you take, you know, 59, 60% of that and you say, all right, that's the, the residual value. So Tesla just has that on their balance sheet as an asset. Um, so, um. Yeah, it, it, the the interesting kind of math behind that is if you look at re, uh, re residual prices or, or used model 3 prices right now they're around like the absolute lowest i've seen is like 39,400 right now oh. for for a used yeah. model 3 in the united states that's uh it's probably a run down one that's like got a lot of mileage and wear and tear yeah. too yeah. But so like even, even ones that are you know, like a decent amount of mileage are, are, are pretty high prices and some of them go up to like $70,000, which is wow, crazy. Yeah. 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 So if, if the actual value that Tesla can, you know, monetize is, is like, you know, $50,000 or something like that, which is slightly lower than the average used model three price right now, uh, then there's, there's potential for like a 20 to $25,000, uh, gain on each of those vehicles that they sell. And remember that, that Tesla actually attaches full self-driving to all, all of their used vehicles right now, uh, at least that have that hardware. So that's another kind of way for them to, to gain some margin on this. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, if you if you run the numbers, I think there were just under 5,000 uh, Model 3s in that Q2 2019 time frame. So uh, it gets to be, I forget the exact number I had out there, but it was, it was like $170 million or something like that of, of margin potential just mm-hmm. for you know, that, that used vehicle leases. So, you know, in, wow. in the context of like, a, you know, billions of dollars of earnings, it's not a huge deal, but it's just kind of another one of those, you know, drip, drip, drip of profitability that, that Tesla yeah. has. And it's another kind of and- a lever that most people aren't really thinking about. And, and this is recurring. It's not like a one-time gain of like a net operating loss, you know, recognition. It's just like some weird yeah. accounting thing. Um, you know, every, as the model three ramp went on, the, uh, quantity of, of leased vehicles increased, you know, exponentially over time. So every yeah. quarter starting in Q2, it should be a higher you know, yeah. amount of profitability that we're seeing on, on that services line, um, in the financials. So, uh, yeah. that, that to me is really exciting. And if they can solve autonomy, what they said at the time was they want to you know, use those vehicles for their kind of in-house robo taxi fleet, which would be obviously even way more profitable. So, yeah. um, yeah i I love the the potential for you know just all these small little things to add up to just like a huge earning surprise when when you start layering them on top of each other yeah the
0: earning the the, tesla very wisely at the time i remember said like you know we'll offer the leases but but all the leases going forward you're not you're gonna you're gonna give up your right to buy the car at the end tesla's gonna get them back you know and I remember like wondering like ah, that's pretty optimistic for them to think that you know they're gonna it's gonna be profitable for them to just you know take all these cars back and you know full self driving be ready by then. But here we are you know three years later, and it seems like you know it was a very wise move they made given also the the undercurrent of used car prices you know skyrocketing, especially Tesla's you know in particular those prices. So it's like the benefit you know the whole economy within the car industry of you know, car dealers leasing cars, you know, and then getting them back and selling them as you know, you know, approved pre-owned cars. You know, there's all kinds of margins in there that car dealers, you know, survive on and make for you know, all the business owners of these car dealers, use car dealers and make money on. And so Tesla, by just being so vertical, is is able to eat all that margin up themselves and improve their own underlying uh, business profits. So it's 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 kind of cool to see this happen and just. Simplifying almost like a much uh, more complex um, economic system within the car industry that's already been out there, but by keeping it vertical, vertically integrated within their own platform. So, yeah, I think um, it's going to help boost margins. And, uh, you know, initially you said 5,000 Tesla Model 3s um, were from Q2 Q- Q- 2019, you said, or something, right? That's right, right yeah. So that number
1: increases dramatically each quarter going forward. I think so. It's yeah, going to be I think a huge... I think over time the the percentage of leased vehicles has decreased, but um, okay. that's been more than outpaced by you know the increase in production since then. So yeah. I, I think um like last quarter in Q two nineteen, it was something like fifteen thousand vehicles. So like a a three x increase, roughly. You know. Okay. So that I mean that's still a huge increase, and so then you're going yeah. from you know, a yeah. hundred something million of, of margin potential to close to 300 million, you know, yeah. three years from from now. So, um, yeah. It, yeah. yeah, it's just, it, it's kind of crazy. And then like, if you, if you think about the fact that, you know, they they really designed these cars to to be like driven for a million miles. Um, yeah. I, I think once people still don't really believe that, I think for the most part, um, you know, but yeah. if, if that turns out to be true, then you could imagine the residual value would be even higher on these and, you know, would create even more kind of pressure from, you know, ice yeah. sale P- people considering like a used ice versus a used Tesla. Well, you know, okay. This, <laughs> this used model three has 500,000 miles, but I can still drive it for, you know, 10 more years. Yeah. And I get software uh, updates still,
0: and I can upgrade the MCU chip inside or whatever if need be, you know, or it's already been upgraded by Tesla
1: probably, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. So I think there's when you really understand this stuff, deeply, it's it's hard not to kind of get optimistic about all the different levers that they have to pull for profitability. So yeah, I, yeah, this is just like one random one that I think a lot of people have forgotten about.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: I agree. Um,
0: anything else about Tesla specific? I and mean, we'll go to Q&A in a second, but anything else Tesla specific before we kind
1: of, I just wanted to mention some
0: of that Roblox real quick too, but anything else Tesla specific? No, it's been, it
1: seems like it's been a, a, you know, kind of quiet news week. You know, I think Sandy Monroe did a really great tear down on the plaids. if anyone hasn't seen that, I'd recommend checking that, that video out. But, uh, no, I think it's, uh, it's been a lighter news side for, or lighter news week for Tesla this week. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I see, before I talk about robot Martin, who's
0: been following us a long time, I see him in the chat, uh, recognize his name and correspond with him on Twitter and stuff. He says, any idea what's holding back the Tesla plant openings? That's something I wanted to bring up too. And, you know, these plant openings seem to be getting delayed. um, But on the flip side, you know, um, what if, you know, what if they could have opened the plants maybe a little prematurely, like a month or two ago? But they decided to just wait until it was, you know, more of a ripe time to open them when the supply constraints of chips shortages in particular ease up. Because right now they still can't maximize the efficiency of production capacity at maybe a combination of Fremont and Shanghai because of some chip supply shortages kind of still, you know, existing um, so I'm wondering and on a silver lining optimistic point of view, you know, I know I've expressed I was on Dave's channel the other day and it was saying like it's really concerning these factories are getting delayed, but what if it's really just linked to the chip supply shortages? What do
1: you think, Matt? Do you think that's a possibility? Yeah, I, I do. I mean, it seems it seems uh, from the comments on the earnings call, the Q4 call that um, the existing plants were were supply constrained from the chip shortage. Yeah. So yeah um, if that's yeah. true, then it seems hard to imagine that, you know, you could get meaningful, you know, production, production. in, say, December <laughs> or January when, when the that ships. issue is ongoing. So, yeah, um, I, that to me does seem like the the kind of uh, the bottleneck, bottleneck at the moment, which, of course, will change over time. I mean, they were even saying they're shocked at how much... Um, you know how many new fabrications are coming online right now or, or over the yeah. course of this year so there should eh, maybe not should but there's there's potential for like a glut in chips uh, maybe yeah. one year from now so by right. the time that happens like this will yeah it's just part of like the struggle of going up the s curve right like we're, we're at a really yeah. hard time right now with the s curve because even if you have the physical capacity to do it you just don't have the the supply chain to, to handle it so um yeah, yeah I, i'm sure they could make some out of there but it wouldn't be close capacity it, it seems likely so i, th- I think that that's a good point to bring up
0: yeah yeah and uh i see one other question before any comments on meet kevin's apocalyptic apop- apocalyptic stance on the markets these days feels like he needs a hug yeah that's something <laughs> i've been thinking about i mean wh- i watch him occasionally in the mornings or something when he's live because i like to listen to the live stuff on the markets are opening and sometimes cnbc or bloomberg you know is focused on europe still and cnbc is kind of like i don't know it's I feel like I'm getting dumber sometimes on listening to <laughs> CNBC, depending who's talking. You know, sometimes they have really interesting guests on, but a lot of times the pundits are just kind of, you know, reading headlines. Um, but, um, <clears throat> I, you know, I, I, I do understand uh, where, you know, me, Kevin has his view and he's uh, you know, successful entrepreneur, a very successful YouTuber, and he's done well investing and who am I? second guess what he thinks about the kids, you know, he, he might be right, you know, but um, I also see like, you know, for me, uh, he, he does this all on his own, for the most part, you know, and it's, you know, on one hand, that's really commendable, incredible. But on the other hand, for me, at least, if I was on my own, for the most part, you know, my head is sort of like a bad neighborhood, you don't want to be there too long by yourself, you know, <laughs> like, I feel like having Matt here is like a trusted partner to bounce things off of, it helps us kind of clear the air of like, what's our fear, our own, you know, created fear mongering in our own head versus what could be real or not, or, you know, and and I just think that's really helpful to have like a trusted, you know, few people or partner to like, talk about very consistently on where you think the markets are going and bounce ideas off of because if you just are left to your own me left to my own device thinking about that stuff, sometimes it gets a little wacky. So even when I was trading, Tesla all those years or not trading, but holding Tesla and Tesla options all those years. I had a few people that I would talk to regularly about Tesla. And it would kind of help my fears kind of subside about like, Hey, don't be so, you know, this Goldman Sachs downgrade doesn't mean anything in the big picture. It's just a buying opportunity if you have any dry powder kind of thing. So I don't know. I, I, I just wanted to comment on that because I know a lot of people are, are follow him and he's got like millions of subscribers and I'm sure a lot of our subscribers follow him to some degree. So, you know, he might be right. Who knows? But, um, You know, we don't we don't necessarily think it's the uh, markets, you know, we think I said earlier in the beginning that sort of a bottom might be in place already. Um, But we'll see. We'll see how time goes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we we do like to look at all sides of things and, you know, challenge our own opinions. So, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I was we've been saying for a while that, that, you know, kind of fears of, of, you know, macro collapse seem overblown to us. Um, but that doesn't mean we kind of ignore those facts. So, um, spot yeah. gamma had a great guest on maybe a week or two ago who kind of laid out a, a case for like macro collapse and, you know, the, the kind of selling we saw in January, he was saying was just like the tip of the iceberg and kind of gave all these, these reasons why a lot of them were kind of like technical indicators and, and, and things like that. Um, which, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a little bit skeptical of, we talked about that in the past, um, So, you know, listen, listening to the reasons that he thinks that things are going to get a lot worse in a macro environment is is helpful. But then, you know, you're also listening to like Kathy Woods, but Kathy Wood has been Woods has been doing these great like Friday, um, like I forget exactly what she calls them, but like she digs into the all the macro yeah. kind of reports and all the details that, that she uh, keys in on. And I think yeah. her, her rationale and her reasoning seems a little bit more kind of clear headed and linked to actual data that that's coming out from, from, from these various economic reports. So, you yeah. know, we always want to kind of keep abreast of what's going on with, with macro, you know, developments and really key in on the the kind of leading indicators. Um, but yeah. it seems more likely than not to me that uh, the damage has been done on, on the macro side. And now it's kind of a, question of like what what does the recovery look like from here
0: yeah do we just kind of stay but, flat for a while yeah. or trade sideways for a while or do we kind of bounce back up i remember in that in the 2020 crash of covid you know the market was violently going up and down but mostly down for a while for that initial you know one or two month decline the nasdaq and then mm-hmm. and then it did stabilize like it is right now you know for a couple weeks there and that was when i uh closed my you know, puts and, and started after a couple of weeks of stability, I decided hey, it's time to redeploy my cash. And sure enough, I was, you know, caught it right and the market rebounded, but it, there was a good, like, I feel like two to four weeks of stability at the bottom before, before it really took off. So, I, you know, who knows history doesn't repeat. It rhymes. You know, I always think of that because it doesn't really repeat usually it's just rhymes, but maybe that that'll be the rhyme this time. Maybe in a few weeks, you know, the tech stocks will start taking off again, uh, tech and growth stocks, you know, so we'll see. Um, and uh, one thing I wanted to mention before we get to the cute, before we post a bunch of questions and answer them one by one is uh, Roblox. You know, there's a big short report put out by them. And I view it as more of a buying opportunity because the short report to me was about like pedophiles on Roblox, you know, con- contacting kids. And um, I responded to it and, you know, publicly to the guy. and the guys in the business of writing like short reports. So he's probably benefiting somehow from hedge fund shorts that are short, these names that he puts his reports on, I would imagine more than just getting headline news attention, I think. Um, but you know, I don't really know his business model specifically, but he's definitely trying to create a hit piece on short on shorting Roblox, I feel like. And, um, the, the response I put out, you know, I looked at it and I saw Roblox's initial response. And Roblox has a very good working relationship with the FBI and other international agencies for safety and security. And they report they that's like one of their top pillars of their business is the safety. And they built incredible amounts of parental controls. And it's really a question of the internet and kids. It's not a question of Roblox and kids. You know, like no matter what you your kids go on on the internet that's that has interaction with people they don't know in real life, there's this danger, you know, of strangers, pedophiles trying to, you know, attract kid, talk to kids or whatever. And so it's really an issue of the internet and in kids, not Roblox and kids. If anything, Roblox is the safest place for kids to be interacting in, in my view, because they have these incredible safeguards in place that par- parent, parents can use, you know, parental controls. It's really a question of parents learning to use the parental controls on Roblox, you know, whereas many of these other things, whether it's like Among Us or I don't even know about Minecraft or what, you know, there's all these other things kids use that has, you know, uh, interactions with, you know, people they don't know in real life. And, you know, those parental controls might not be as extensive as Roblox's in many cases. And so I think Roblox, you'd make the argument is actually the safest place if you're going to let your kids operate on the internet, you know, Um, that's the question. And so you know, I, you know, I just think uh, that's what people need to be discussing, not Roblox specifically. So
1: that was my thought on that. Yeah, I, I, I read that report, too. And it's like, you know, it, it's kind of heart, heartbreaking, all the, you know, like horrible things that, that have happened there. Um, but yeah. in, in my mind, they they really failed to kind of make the connection that it was like a systemic issue or like negligence at Roblox. Um you know in in following Roblox like we do they, they really do mean it when they say that like community safety is is like a pillar of their DNA um in my mind I, th- I think there's a good analogy here with with Tesla where you know like Tesla clearly has like a, an insane focus on safety when they're designing their vehicles and they're like very much the the safest vehicles uh, on the roads right now um but you could very easily pull together a similar sort of report that said, like, oh, look at all these, you know, accidents where Tesla's like either caught on fire or like ran into something. Like you can you can like create a a very you know damning list of of incidents where Tesla's have been involved in, you know, serious or fatal accidents, and it'll you know be a bit of a tearjerker to read through that report. That doesn't yeah. mean that like tesla has a lack of focus on safety so i think that yeah. the same kind of analogy applies at roblox like you know of course yeah. bad things have happened on that platform but it's a it's a huge stretch in my mind to say okay bad things have happened on the platform therefore it's a like a home for pedophiles or it's a like the management is um negligent or you know they're not doing yeah. anything about this so to me yeah. it left a lot wanting in terms of like an actual short investment thesis report yeah
0: yeah. So we'll see what the earnings is on two a week from today. I'm excited to see how that pans out. Um, we know what happened last earnings, <laughs> but I don't yeah. think that's going to, that type of response of a, you know, 35% share price increase over, you know, from the earnings is going to happen this time. But I think it hopefully will, will lay the foundation for strong growth still coming with roblox so we'll uh we're keeping a close eye on that so yeah with that let's go to q a we'll have about 20 minutes or so to just go as many go over as many q a's as we can here um so from mark gomez to Heda on youtube when you consider tesla when do you consider tesla will pay dividends or repurchase shares so i touched on this a little bit with my chat with dave the other night um that at some point you know i think sooner than people expect Tesla is going to be even more flush with cash, you know, and they're going to want to do something. Obviously they're expanding as fast as they can. And they got a lot of projects on their plate. You know, the Tesla bot, they can't build factories to build the Tesla bot until they've completed all the design iteration. Obviously and that could be years away. They can build more factories for cars, but how many can they really do at once? Right. I mean, there are chip supply shortages, obviously Um, maybe they do like a fab uh, uh, factory for building their own chips or something. I don't know, but that was talked about not too long ago. I think there's a rumor of that, but it could take five years for them to get that factory up and running. Although, in Tesla time, maybe it'd be like two or three years. Who knows? So, there's lots of things they could do to deploy their capital to expand production. But I think their cash balance will accelerate faster than they can spend the money efficiently, to be honest. That's what my, 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 after thinking about it a lot, I think in like three to five years, we'll have so much cash. They'll be printing so much cash, especially with full self driving by that time, mm-hmm. kind of being, more into place. Like Elon is already spread thin with so many projects. He's not going to like create even more, maybe the the vertical takeoff and landing jet. That's, you know, that's, you know, they're going to have tens of billions on their balance sheet. They're not going to have like single digit, any new project will be single digit billions to develop and build out. I'm sure. So they could have like in five years, they could have like a hundred billion, you know, or plus on their balance sheet if they don't really spend it fast enough, you know? So, just, I think that people are going to be surprised with just how fast their their cash balance gets uh, added to, and I think for that reason, at some point in the next, you know, five years, that Elon uh, is possible that he just buy start buying back shares to deploy. You know, instead of keeping it in cash or or Bitcoin reserves, he'll just say, all right, we'll just buy back shares because he knows if there's, you know, if they have tens of billions of of capital in their balance sheet at all times, that's plenty. But they don't need hundreds of billions. Right. And if something happened where they needed to raise, you know, 10 billion quickly, for some reason, they could always tap the markets in an emergency case scenario. But, you know, again, but uh, I, I just don't, I don't see him. I, I think at some point when they get to the, you know, hundred billion cash reserves mark by that time, they'll, they'll be buying back shares before then. I don't know. What do you think, Matt?
1: Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, i i agree with everything that you just said i I would just add um you know in in the past elon has made the comment that they want to run the business kind of close to break even from a cash flow perspective but then Mm -hmm. you know he said once autonomy is solved and you've got you know robo taxis then he would expect the company to be i forget his exact words but it was something like ridiculously free cash flow positive um yeah but i mean if you look at their financials right now i mean they're already generating a lot more cash flow than they need for their um you know for the capital spend plans uh, yeah. and that's that's going to be true uh, going forward based on kind of their expectations of um uh, of, of capex going forward which they they laid out recently so um what one of the i think another just um under-appreciated aspect of tesla's financials is the fact that they're working capital negative so in other yeah. words they um they they're um accounts receivable grow slower than their uh than their accounts payable so you know they get the cash right up front when they uh um when a customer takes delivery of a car but then they have oftentimes 60 days to pay suppliers for the parts so it, um, most businesses as they grow there's like a cash flow drain uh as the top line kind of sucks up working capital tesla has the opposite which is like a great uh issue or a great kind of setup to be w- when you're growing at you know 50 plus per year uh, so, so the fact that they do have that negative working capital balance, which uh, creates cash flow as, as they grow the top line, um, I think that's definitely going to help them uh, just handle any any capex that they need. And when, whenever they do solve autonomy, I would expect that that they um, flip the switch on either dividends or or share repurchases. I, I would think they might do dividends. I've had this this pet theory for a while that mm-hmm. Elon would use those dividends to pay for like so his, his portion of those dividends would be quite large, obviously. Yeah, uh, and he would use that to kind of seed the, the Mars colony. Uh, of course, you yeah. could just sh- you know sell shares too, but why not you know retain ownership and uh, let the price get higher over the next you know decade or so, and then you know yeah. just get get that cash flow to seed the colony. Yeah, no, I I think there's
0: some merit to that argument for sure. Um, and yeah, it will need a lot of capital. I think you mentioned like a trillion dollars or so. He did the you know, napkin math in his head, I'm sure in like an instant, but I think he referenced like a trillion dollars at some point is needed or something And the trillion dollar range is needed to, to get enough mass over to Mars to, you know, build the foundation of a self-sustaining civilization or something after, after they get the starship up and running and everything, you know, that's still a massive amount of capital. So yeah, let's go to the next question. From Clips of Innovation on YouTube, question, the wait time has been one month in Europe for the long range model Y. Does that say something about demand? In the Netherlands, a long range model Y is 64,000 euro, while an ID4 is 48,000 euro. So yeah, that's interesting. I didn't know that the wait time in Europe is just one month for a long range y. Um, I mean, they're, they're really getting a ton of exports. I think that maybe signals uh, a massive production ramp in China. Um, going on with the exports because the first month or two of the quarter in China, you know, model Y is being built is being exported probably mostly to Europe. And so that makes sense that, you know, they'll get the, you know, all the model Y is being built in China right now, you know, and they've just, they've just really ramped up, you know, production in the last few months there, but all that production is being, you know, moved to Europe. Uh, that doesn't surprise me. Uh, the made in China model Ys. Um, but that, that's expensive 64,000 euros and 94 is 48,000. I mean, what does that say about the quality of the Tesla? I guess if, 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 if Tesla is selling as many as they can at 64,000 versus an 94, 40,000, I mean, that says to me something strong about how, how much people value Tesla, the brand and those products versus Volkswagen at this point. What do you, you have any thoughts on the question, Matt?
1: Yeah, I, I, so I didn't know that that either, uh, but I think your 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 comment about the the staging is is right. Um, the only other thing I would say uh, on the the price difference is the uh, it's important to keep in mind there's that value added tax. So cars mm. that are are produced in a in a foreign country, you know, have a have a big value added tax which is applied to them. So I think that's going to be one of the benefits of having the. Um, Uh, production localized in in Germany, once they get that up and running, they'll, they'll be able to kind of avoid that huge, VAT tax. And um, that should, that should help them to be able to lower the price, which should, um, you know, reach a a much higher pool of demand when you, when you can get it for, let's say they get it close to 50 or maybe a little bit north of 50,000 euros, I'd imagine there's there's a lot more demand at that part, at that price point.
0: Yeah. Someone in the comments, Marco Sanders just said, Netherlands model Y long range is not available till May of 2022. So maybe there's a specific you know country that it's available next month in you know where they have some extras you know i don't know or he also says that the model y performance is available in march and that makes sense that's their highest margin by far the performance model y so you know if you're ordering they, they leave you know enough capacity to build enough model y performances to let people skip the line if they're willing to pay up for the performance versions i think that's sort of what they've done. And it makes sense, financial sense. If you want to pay 10000 or 20000 extra for the performance version, maybe it only costs Tesla an extra 5000 or 3000 to add that extra motor and stuff. And of course, they'll take that extra margin and put you at the front of the line and, and make sure you get the next delivery of, uh, of, of ships that have the performances on it. They'll just put yeah. more performances on it instead of long range versions. Yeah.
1: It, it's, I think it's important to look, look at all the different geographies though. So, you know, I, I do that from time to time, you know, just look at what's the wait time in the U.S., what's the wait time in Europe, what's the wait time in, in China. And, and the wait time in China right now is longer than I've ever seen. It's, you know, three to four months uh, for a newly ordered Model Y. Um, and it used yeah. like, for the longest time, it was just, you know, two to four weeks, which was an indicator to me that there was not a lot of, of local demand there. Uh, so I think that's a, a really good sign overall that, you know, the, the overall demand from the, from the Shanghai factory appears to be stretching out and, you know, at least until
0: summer. Yeah. Another guy in the YouTube comment just said, Germany model Y is also available only in May. So it seems like most this question, I don't know where it's coming from, but it seems like maybe it just meant performance model Y, but most of the model Y, the rest of Europe is not available until May, it seems, uh. Another guy says, uh, Maros, how did you two meet? Seems like a match made. (laughs) Yeah, we just did an episode of the Nightcrawler podcast. If you Google like on Spotify, Nightcrawler and and Matt and Emmett Peppers or whatever, you'll see it. But we were interviewed by a a colleague, another startup hedge fund manager. And we go over that story a little bit in detail there. So it's interesting if you're interested. All right. Next question here. Andrew Bazile, do you think the SEC leadership is wise enough to lay off Elon? Tinfoil had a wondering if the Biden administration has pushed the SEC to go after him. Hmm. I mean, I think, uh, you know, I think it's possible that, you know, conspiracy theory that the Biden administration is kind of nudging SEC to like put pressure on Elon and Tesla, you know, to kind of give the, the, uh, union made car companies, you know, uh, more wiggle room or, or, or more chances of, uh, uh, of succeeding, I guess, by hurting the the main competitor. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think, I think that's possible. Um, SEC leadership is wise to lay off. I think they would be wise to lay off Elon for sure, but I don't think they will. I think there's lots of pressures from Tesla and Elon haters to like, look, Elon's tweeting about selling shares. You have to investigate it or whatever, you know, like, so they have to go to the motions and there's a couple, you know, SEC is a big place. It's not like a small, like regulatory body with ten employees. You know, I'm sure there's hundreds of employees involved in SEC these days. It's And there's probably some bad apples in there of people that hate Tesla and Elon too, you know, and just recently there was that news of uh, Tesla or, you know, some law firm being pressured to lay off of, uh, to fire a lawyer that was previously working against Tesla at the SEC. So I think there's some serious vitriol amongst some of the lawyers that have worked for the SEC or that do work for the SEC. And, in Tesla, I don't know what the underpinnings of that are. Um, one of those lawyers, you know, personally, just vehemently believe that Elon is a fraud, and you know all that. Uh, if they believe that reality, or if there's some kind of um, you know incentive, whether economic or influence or something else amongst you know the the powers that be that want. Tesla to fail, like short sellers and Big Oil and L- Legacy Auto and unions and stuff. So, it's hard to know the complexities of that, but there's definitely some bad blood with some people within
1: the SEC and Elon and Tesla. Yeah, which, which to be fair, Elon hasn't really helped with either. You know, he he's had some uh, <laughs> short enrichment <questionable>. commission. <laughs> yeah, short enrichment, or you know, S Elon C. That whole tweet, which I th- I thought was pretty <laughs> ill advised. <laughs> Uh, so I, yeah. I don't think he's he's uh, got himself many friends there there either. but um I, I don't know. I, I'm always questionable to go to the, like the tinfoil hat. I mean, the, the Biden clearly is like has an allergic reaction to saying the word Tesla., um, yeah. so you know there's there's clearly some amount of t- of tension between you know the, the overall federal government and Tesla, you now, whether it's actually kind of being directed in a in a you know conspiratorial way. Uh, I'm skeptical of that, but, um, I don't know, in my mind, this, this latest kind of issue with, uh, that it seems to be stemming from Elon's tweets, uh, you know, with the, with the poll saying, should I sell 10% of my shares to pay more taxes? I think this latest inquiry is just related to that. I don't really think much is going to come out of it. Um, but I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. So the next question here.
0: From AJ Price, question, how big of a risk for Lemonade do you see Legacy Auto getting into telematics similar to Tesla and leaving all car insurance to the car manufacturers instead of insurance companies? I mean, theoretically, that's a possibility, right? Um, I don't know if realistically, just like theoretically, it's a possibility that, you know, Legacy Auto is going to build an EV comparable to Tesla. That was always a possibility even 10 years ago, you know, that was a real possibility everyone pointed out, you know, so certainly that's a, a possibility, um, you know, but it just seems like a pretty, a pretty big endeavor for like GM or Ford or Stellantis to suddenly say, we're launching our own car insurance, you know, arm and, as a tech company with software based, you know, telematics and AI, you know, it just seems like not part of their DNA. It would be very hard. Just like building an electric vehicle is so completely different than building an internal combustion engine vehicle. They're fundamentally very different products to build. And so I just think for a similar reason, the DNA of those companies just isn't really a fit for this. Maybe one of those legacy companies tries to buy lemonade at some point. I mean, Lemonade's less than 2 billion valuation right now. It's incredible, but, um, yeah, what do you think, Matt?
1: Yeah, I agree. I, I don't think they've got the, the risk appetite to go after something like this. Um, I mean, they're not even vertically integrating to the extent of of producing their own batteries, you know, in like designing, you know, cell to pack or, or that sort of thing. So um, I, I think for them to go one step further in terms of vertical integration from uh, beyond what they're not even doing right now on the, on the manufacturing side, which is core to their business, to then go one step beyond that to the the insurance side just seems uh, really unlikely to me. Um, I think Ford is actually using uh, and there are some other auto manufacturers as well that are using like a metro mile um, technology in their in their used in their their new vehicles that they're producing. so, to me it doesn't seem like they want to own this piece of the data stream i don't think they're they're really that interested in kind of pursuing this i think there's more of a chance that the legacy insurers will start to offer some more of these type of products i know like usaa for example does mm-hmm. offer like a, a telematics based um auto insurance pricing um so i think more of them will, will go that route um because it's kind of more important mm-hmm. to their business but i don't think the auto companies will do it
0: yeah yeah All right. Next question is from Brian Gamble on YouTube. Question. Could you comment on the idea of social media companies versus gaming companies winning the metaverse space? I think that gaming companies have a better shot at giving consumers what they want um yeah the metaverse when people use that word it's hard you know to define what the metaverse space is um you know it's easier to say what it is not i would say uh the way i think of the metaverse space it's such an overused thing it's just like the evolution of the internet like the next phases of the internet and how that interoperability of things within the internet are going to work and technology advances within with using the internet so you know i think gaming companies like roblox is are big play on, on the coming, you know, whatever this metaverse space is evolving into. We think that's a huge, got a huge foothold in in that with the kind of f- self-fulfilling flywheel feedback loop they have of uh, the developers and user content and such. Um, social media companies, it's hard to say. I mean, Snapchat, I think, has a chance to kind of put augmented reality, uh, you know, and that's kind of, uh, you know, orthogonal to the metaverse in some ways, I guess. I've never used that word orthogonal, by the way. But uh, Snapchat with augmented reality, I feel like, has a, has a chance to kind of breach that. Um, and uh, we'll see if its competitors, whether it's Instagram or TikTok or others kind of have some similar camera augmented reality capabilities they put out. Um, so we'll see. Uh, Matt, you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, like, I, I think
1: it, it seems like the, the market is kind of increasingly, and I apologize for this background noise. It was so quiet this this whole morning up until we went live. It's it's like the workers decided to start banging on the walls. Um, yeah. The, the only thing I would say, like, it, I think it's the use case for like web 2.0 is probably going to be a lot different than, than web 3.0. So I think what you're seeing with, with meta, with Facebook right now, it, like, it's, I think the market is interpreting this pivot as like, a little bit of a desperate kind of like defensive posturing the core business at facebook is shrinking like the the daily active users actually shrunk for the i don't know if it's for the first time ever but for the first time in a long time um so i think the way people are using the internet now uh, or, or maybe five years from now is a better way to think about it um is not going to be that the way they were using it so i think it's to me it, it, it makes sense that you're going to need something like a snapchat or or a gaming type of platform um because yeah. I, I think people people are going to be spending their their time more on on those sort of kind of unique interactive experiences um or or just you know fun games in in a way that you know what they were going on for like facebook like you know checking on x's is, is not going to be a, a thing that's super popular yeah. uh like yeah uh, for like a use of eyeballs five years from now so yeah, yeah. I, I do think there's some there's think some for yourself matt
0: no, just kidding. <laughs> I <laughs> I know, I'm not checking any out an Maybe that's why. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Oh. All right. All right. Last question. Let's do one more question here. Let's see. Um, from Oliver Thomas. Question. How do you feel about the pivot and direction described on the earnings call towards full self-driving and autonomy? Do you think they still bother to push for 20 million cars in 2030 if full self-driving gets solved? Um, Yeah, I mean, I think it makes sense to pivot the direction to start talking more about software and full self driving autonomy um, and future things. You know, the the, uh, gross margins and production of Tesla cars, you know, it seems like the efficiency is really incredible. You know, their manufacturing is is going so well that, you know, that speaks for itself. And really, they need to kind of plant more seeds in Dino Street's minds of, what is to come with Tesla? Because you know traditional institutional Wall Street, you know the dinosaur of uh, Wall Street, they have a hard time uh, understanding the disruption that Tesla is is doing and in innovation. So um, I think the you know tr- the, the the meat and potatoes of their earnings coming from production and gross margins is uh, is easily understood by the financials, but um i think it makes sense to plant the seeds of what's coming uh so and i do think they push for 20 million cars as many cars as they can possibly make for many years to come and i think that'll you know i think elon's targeting 20 million cars a year by 2030. so uh i think that's uh a pragmatic you know whether it's 2032 or 2029 i think in that range they they probably get there Um, I just don't, I see there's demand is almost infinite uh, as long as their technology is accelerating so much like it is. So for years to come that they can just sell as many cars as they can possibly make, but they can't, you know, it building cars is very hard uh, to expand. You know, it's not like building 10 million more iPhones a year, you know, building 10 million more cars a year is much more difficult, more batteries to source, chips to source raw materials, factory capacity. So, you know, we'll see. And Matt, you have any thoughts on that one?
1: Yeah, I guess I wouldn't. Um, I, a lot of people probably did interpret it as a, as a pivot. But, um, you know, if, if you go back to Autonomy Day, and I think that was 2019, it's yeah. like exactly what they said back then. Um, you know, the only issue is like back then, nobody like it was a total joke to, to think that, you know, FSD would result in transforming the company's financials. Um, so like they went out and kind of kicked butt on manufacturing for a couple of years and, you know, proved that they could do it. And now FSD looks like it's, you know, kind of poised to uh, potentially be that, that kind of meaningful financial catalyst that they were talking about back in 2019. So they, they just brought up the same points again, uh, on this last earnings call that, you know, if you increase take rate and you increase the price, uh, and you have like a, a RoboTaxi future where there's like autonomy. current financials are like a rounding error to what the future financials will look like in that scenario uh which you know they have been saying for years so you know I, I think um it was prudent just to kind of remind everyone that like hey we haven't given up on this and it's it's we're a lot closer to it now than, than we were then and, and so kind of buckle up because if, if we do solve this and if we do, you know, get take rate right a lot higher than it is right now, um, you know, the, the company's financials will look like ridiculous. Um, yeah. And I agree with you on, on 20 million cars per year in 2030. Even if they like you could flip a switch right now and just produce 20 million vehicles, uh, you probably need to lower the price point now or have full self-driving a lot better um, in order to kind of maintain pricing. Um, yeah. but even if you could do that it would take years to kind of turn over the the, the existing you know ice vehicle fleet uh, but the economics of uh, an autonomous electric vehicle are just drastically better than the economics of driving an ice vehicle so i, I think um, I, I think those economics will um, sustain as much you know demand as, as Tesla will need by, by the time 2030 rolls around yeah, absolutely. And and one last thing I saw in the YouTube comment
0: I wanted to ask, Matt, you, uh, is Aravinda Math asks, Tesla 2022 Q1 earnings per share is estimated at 2.26, 2026 cents. How can it be smaller than Q4 in 2021? I mean, I think we all know revenue will clearly be higher. You know, I think Troy Teslike, who's we all sort of default to is like, maybe the best guesser of what production will be. Um, at least the most notorious at this point and, and, uh, and pretty accurate to to a large degree. Uh, I think he has that, like, uh, you know, around 330,000, uh, cars total produced and delivered in, in Q, uh, one of 2022, if I recall from his last estimate, which I think is public by now. Um, Mm -hmm. if you're not a Patreon supporter, you have to kind of wait a few days for it to be public. Uh, so, um, yeah, I mean, at 330 versus 310,000, uh, you know, there's got to be a, you would think a 5 to 10% uptick in revenue at least from that. Um, and you got to think that the higher priced models are being delivered largely for this quarter versus last quarter. It was probably a mix of lower priced, previously ordered models versus you know, more recently, higher priced models. So you got to think the margins for that have to be higher, but they're also spending more money on ramping up the factories. That's sort of the take where maybe the gross margins might not be quite as high. I mean, do you think, you know, it's an early question, Matt, what do you think? Do you think earnings per share is going to be higher uh, than Q, Q4? Q yeah, so I, I just more detail later
1: on your model. My my model just to kind of check. I, I don't think it's gonna like we, we we've seen in the past kind of like step changes in profitability as 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 they increase uh, production. Uh, I I was kind of taking Zach's caution on on the call uh, mm. at his at his word. Uh, so you know mm. he he mentioned and and we've known for a while that there's going to be gross margin pressure when you launch um, Austin and, and Berlin. So I think it's reasonable to uh take your kind of core manufacturing margin down for the next couple of quarters uh relative yeah. to where it was in q4 uh and, and he talked about kind of, kind of ongoing pricing or uh, supply chain issues and um how much they were paying you know for expedite costs uh like with ports and with, with shipping the, the vehicles so that remains you know an issue oh. L- looking at the bottom line kind of putting all that together along mm. with you know i have a i'm forecasting another yeah. decrease in take rate for full self-driving in q1 uh, which i, I think mm-hmm. is prudent um, so I'm, I'm looking at $2 and 62 cents right now for Q1. Um, obviously it's, 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 really early. Uh, and that's even with backing out the, um, um, you know, the, the kind of one-time payroll tax item that, that was highlighted in, in Q4. Uh, so assuming yeah. that goes away, you know, you get a little bit of a benefit for that and growing the, the from there. So like, I don't think it's, you know, I, I think we'll have a slight improvement, you know, quarter over quarter, but I, like, to me, it's. Like Wall Street seems clearly too low, um, but it, it, it seems like it would be a stretch for me to, to say that they get to like $3 in earnings per share in Q4, given yeah. everything that they have going on, or sorry, in Q1, given everything that they have going on right now.
0: Yeah, yeah. One dark horse element, I'm not sure how much it'll impact the profitability or the gross margins, but I do think this quarter could be the quarter where they start delivering in bulk the Model X refreshed you know, we're scheduled to get our Model X refresh in March, you know, and I think we have some family friends that are as well in March and we've all been waiting for so long for like a year, two years for this new Model X refresh, you know, and, and so I think there's, there could be a really lump sum of Model X refreshes and Model S refreshes still. So what was it last quarter? How many Model X's and S's? It was like 10,000 or something or 12,000. It's still low compared to, you know, 300,000 Model 3s and Ys obviously. 13,000. 13,000. So I wonder if this quarter, if they deliver, if they you know hammer out 25 to 30,000 model X and S's, if that makes a meaningful impact, because you got to think they're higher margin cars once they're kind of being produced more than, or
1: sold more than like, Couple thousand, you know. So, well, I think their I their actual production capacity is only twenty five thousand per quarter, if I'm not mistaken. I could yeah. be I could be slightly wrong on that. So, they're never yeah, going to get quite right. to that level. So, in my mind, I'd be surprised if they even got to twenty thousand deliveries for for SNX this quarter. Maybe they can, but I don't know. I'd struggle to see doesn't move the needle that
0: much anyway. Even doubling the
1: delivery count isn't going to be
0: a huge benefactor to the margins, considering they're selling ten times more Model Three
1: and Y. yeah right yeah that, that's kind of my thought I mean it's clearly they're they're nice high margin vehicles but um you know I don't think you get an extra like 20 cents per share out of uh, you know out of kind of fully ramping <laughs> yeah. up that, that production
0: maybe five cents per share who knows but yeah, I'd have to do the um, math
1: but yeah I don't think it's gonna <laughs> be like a, a big needle mover yeah 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 so
0: all right well it was good chatting uh, Matt uh, we'll do it again next week with everyone and this is being recorded on our YouTube channel good soil investment YouTube channel so go ahead and watch it from the beginning if you missed part of it. You can, it'll be on there almost immediately after we cut this off. So thanks everyone. And we'll be here next, next week, same time, same place, Twitter spaces and YouTube live.